conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Danny Ryan. Today we have a very, very fun episode in store for you, at least we would like to think so. We are talking all about the first season of the animated Harley Quinn show, which is airing on DC Universe. I believe it's actually airing on Sci-Fi now as well, the first season, if you have not been subscribed to DC Universe to have watched it. But Danny, are you excited to talk about Harley Quinn today? I am super excited to talk about Harley Quinn today. I love this show. I actually want to start off by talking about just how surprising this show was because I didn't expect it to be nearly as good as it is because when you think of Harley Quinn, you think of the Batman the Animated Series version, which is where she made her first appearance and then she infiltrated the comics from there. And that's sort of the best iteration of the character that we had probably had up until this point and to have Kaylee Cuoco come in after being on the Big Bang Theory for so long and to have so much money from that show and then to go to this you're like oh wait this actually works yeah it's really really good I was deeply surprised because I'm always kind of hesitant with Harley Quinn stuff because I feel like a lot of the uh stuff that's been come out has been kind of gross, like the sexualization of Harley and sort of how she's always been Joker's pet slash servant slash girlfriend, which ew. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was kind of worried. I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I want to watch that. But uh, my younger brother told me to watch it. He's like, no, no, you got to check it out. It's super, super good. It's really funny. It's actually pretty feminist. It's It's worth checking out. And so we watched the first episode and I was like, oh, this is just like Venture Brothers meets Batman the Animated Series and I am here for it. And you and I had talked about Birds of Prey, which I think that version of Harley and this animated version of Harley have a lot in common because it's this independent Harley Quinn that we're not used to seeing. And I think the only way this show works is if they take it in that direction because you can't just redo something like Batman the Animated Series version of the character and expect that to work now because, one, you don't have Arlene Sorkin voicing the character, so you have to give Kaylee Cuoco the chance to make it her own. And I think that this storyline in season one definitely allows her to do that. Well, and it capitalizes on the best parts of the character because... For me, the best thing in the comics with Harley was her relationship with Poison Ivy. I always found that to be a really interesting dichotomy because Ivy can't stand people, is very introverted, is very quiet, and Harley is pretty much the most extroverted person to ever live. She's loud. She's ridiculous. She loves uh, craziness and chaos and people. And so their friendship was always something that I found really, really interesting. And to see that in the show was satisfying. And it was also a lot of fun. Like they've kind of got a, like a Daria Jane thing going on, but for superheroes. And I love it. Like it's just, it's just a really good time. And the cast, oh my God, the cast. Yes, that's exactly where I was going to go next with this, because I already mentioned who voices Harley Quinn, but you have 
Lake Bell as Poison Ivy, you have Alan Tudyk as Clayface and the Joker, which I didn't even notice at first because he's that good with his voices. You have Tony Hale as Dr. Psycho, who some of you might know him as Forky from Toy Story 4, Ron Funches as King Shark, J.B. Smoove as Frank the Plant, which is just hilarious. It's fantastic. Diedrich Bader as Batman, which he has voiced Batman before. Matt Oberg as Kite Man. Christopher Maloney as the neurotic James Gordon that we get in this. Best James Gordon. Best. Hands down. And even Giancarlo Esposito as Lex Luthor, you wouldn't even think of, really. And Wayne Knight as the Penguin. I could go on, but... I will stop there. There are some other random appearances here and there, you know, for characters that pop in for an episode or two and then they're gone. But just a stellar, stellar voice cast all around. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. I think my very, very favorite is Jim Rash as the Riddler. Jim Rash played Dean Pelton on Community. And it's just, he actually looks like him. Like if you look up a picture of Jim Rash and then you look up the way they did the Riddler, everything is, uh, it's dead on. It's really, really weird. So I'm like, oh, it's animated Jim Rash. This is cool. Yeah. And having recently watched the latest season of Better Call Saul to hear Giancarlo Esposito's voice, I'm just like, oh, I like this. I like this guy as Lex Luthor. Oh, he's a perfect Lex. He's so good. Like, that's the thing is every single person, like, they're cast perfectly. Like, what I love about it is, like, this version of James Gordon, this Commissioner Gordon is so different from any other version of the character we've seen. He's not put together. He's not really in control of things. He is a mess. He is an alcoholic. He's using the bat signal to try and get advice from Batman on his marriage woes. Like, it's... It's kind of a more real world than Gotham has ever felt like. Like, they feel like real people for once instead of just archetypes or superheroes or whatever. Like, there's something really refreshing about some of the humanity that's been given the characters in this series. Absolutely. And I didn't mean to gloss over Jason Alexander as Cyborgman, which, you know, he's he's basically a cyborg man. So that's a nice play on the name there. And it's just so fun to have all of these different characters coming together. You wouldn't expect Harley Quinn to have this team of goons that includes Clayface, Dr. Psycho, King Shark, and Cyborgman. And then obviously... Poison Ivy is the only obvious relationship, I would say, with Harley in this show. Oh, for sure. And two, like, her little gang is cool. Her little crew's cool. But you also have these really fun moments with the rest of the rogues gallery. Like, I think the way the show uh, addresses the villains and sort of looks into, like, how the villains are organized and everything is part of what makes it so fun. Like, it reminded me of Venture Brothers. Like I said, sort of the like super villains totally uh, capitalized and turned into like a company. And that's kind of what this feels like. It's really interesting. Uh, and I thought that the, the bar mitzvah episode, which I think is the second ep- or third episode uh, was the one that really, really got me hooked because all of the Bane jokes are great and it's just, it's fun and it's got a lot of heart on top of being funny. And it's not that weird to think that Lex Luthor would run the Legion of Doom like it was a company, even if he's not 
necessarily the only big villain there because you see the Joker, you see Penguin, you see even Bane, who maybe not the smartest villain out there, but definitely the most intimidating from a physical standpoint. And they let that come across so well, even just the bickering between the Legion of Doom amongst themselves. And I love how when Harley gains her independence in that first episode and she wants to stop being known as the Joker's girlfriend, she kind of thinks that just because she has done all of these things as a villain and a criminal, the Legion of Doom is going to be accepting of her, but she doesn't quite understand how much sway the Joker has at the beginning. And you see her working through that this entire first season, which is why she ends up with people like Dr. Psycho and King Shark and these villains that nobody really wants. Yeah, it's kind of the misfit crew. Like, I love that about it. These are sort of the misfit cast off villains, and she's taking them under her wing, and they're kind of a little family. And I love that. I think King Shark's my favorite out of all of them, just because he is so stinking funny. Pretty much every time he's in an episode, I'm just like, oh, yeah, he's here. King Shark's great. And, and yeah, so like Harley, the thing with her leaving Joker is in Birds of Prey, it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm leaving him, sad breakup, whatever, or he broke up with me. But in this... Harley wants to go back to Joker. And I think that the first couple episodes have a really interesting little bit of meditation on how people go back to their abusers. Yeah. And how Ivy ain't having it. Which is why I really love the relationship between those two. Because even though for Poison Ivy, it's obviously a very, very platonic thing. It almost seems like as the season progresses, it's going to become something more for Harley because then you have Kite Man coming around. And even though things are kind of tense between him and Ivy at the beginning, and this rolls over into season two, so I don't want to say too much about it, but it takes a while for someone to, pun intended, grow on Ivy, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. There's a whole part where Ivy explains why she loves Harley so much. And she's like, you made it so I could stand being around people without throwing up. <laughs> and I was like, that's so great. Because now we understand the dynamic a little bit more between these two. Like why Ivy puts up with all the crazy things that Harley does, even though she gets her evicted and she gets her in all this trouble. Ivy still sticks by her. And that's why it's because they balance each other. And then you get Kite Man in the situation and it's doesn't totally balance anymore. And I know in the comics, Harley and Ivy are sort of friends slash friends with benefits quite often. So I could see a romance element happening at some point, And I'd be cool with that. I'd actually kind of love to see that being in the end. Yeah. And I think with how much people have really enjoyed the show, and it's taken even us by surprise, I imagine we'll be getting quite a few more seasons of it as long as, you know, everything kind of goes nicely with the whole DC Universe, HBO Max thing. I don't really know what's happening there. So I am a little worried about some of these DC Universe shows, but the fact that they went and put this on sci-fi or whatever channel it was, that kind of gives me hope that they're like, hey, we really believe in this and we want to get people watching it just beyond those who subscribe to DC Universe. Yeah, and I think budget-wise, this is a lot less intensive than some of the other stuff that's going on in DC Universe. Like, yeah. this costs probably, like, one-tenth to make of what something like Doom Patrol would. Um, 
So I, I think this one's probably pretty safe. And the sci-fi thing gave me a lot of hope, too. I actually turned on the TV the other day and saw it on. I was like, Harley Quinn's on TV. Oh, my gosh. And you're like, yes, I will watch this, even though I've already seen this episode. Oh, yes. I will watch all of them. Give them the ratings. Let's get more made. Yeah. And what's nice, too, is that it's a 13-episode season, and they already pushed out season two. I don't know if they pushed it out faster than they intended to because of coronavirus and knowing that people were home more, but it was only a few months after season one ended where they were like, oh, by the way, here's season two starting. And while this episode in particular is only focusing on season one, I think that so many people were just like, yes, this is how you handle Harley Quinn. Thank you. And because Batman the Animated Series was really made for everyone, obviously, it's definitely a mature animated show. It's not a rated R animated show like this is. Yeah, this is adults only. Hard R. Uh, in fact, when my brother sold it to me, he's like, hey, yeah, it's super violent. And there's lots of really filthy humor and they swear a lot. And I was like, wait, it's a Batman cartoon show that's filthy, violent, and funny? Sold. And that kind of Batman show only works if you have a different character at the forefront of it. Because if it was strictly, you know, Batman's the main character, we need to focus on Batman, you wouldn't really have as much of this going on because of just how not necessarily straight-laced Batman seems to be, but how regimented he is and he does not lose control most of the time and with Harley you never know what to expect and that's what I love about this first season because you're like oh okay maybe she will get back with the Joker but then she doesn't which is exactly what you expect because it's what she has done every other time she's strayed from him basically exactly this is her story for the first time Instead of just being like her story is an add-on to the Joker story, this is hers. And it's really refreshing. And I like what they do with Batman in this, too. Like, the Batman that we get to see in this is a little bit more normal and human than Batman usually gets to be, too. Like, Harley ends up in the Batcave and is, you know, making jokes about jerking off to bats and stuff and batman is embarrassed and like seeing these characters as human and flawed made them more interesting to me than they've been in a really long time because we're moving away from the mythology of batman because batman's very big and mythic and a lot of these characters are just like supernatural in absolutely ridiculous ways to where it's like oh, okay this is so ridiculous this could never happen and just by having them use the kind of dialogue that people would reuse in real life, like, you know, swearing and uh, various little slang things and pop culture references and all that, it really sets them in a real world. And it, it makes them easier to identify with. And then on top of that, it, it you know, makes it funny and fun. But it never comes across as, like, twee or pandering. It doesn't feel like, you know, hey, guys, I'm one of the cool kids. I'm going to use your jive talk. Uh, it just comes off very natural, and that's refreshing. It's also refreshing that Batman doesn't need to appear in every episode to thwart whatever Harley's plans are, because that's what you would expect every time Harley appeared in something like Batman the Animated Series, or literally any other time she was in something Batman-related. So making this her show and her story, you can see that, okay, 
Batman obviously can't get to everything in Gotham. And from what we know of the character, he is in Gotham a lot of the time, but then he's also in the Justice League. So then he's at the Watchtower, which is off in space. So he can't be in Gotham. And then you have Robin popping in (laughs) in season one and things don't go very well for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool how they include the whole DC universe. Like we get to see Wonder Woman. We get to see, you know, besides the whole Legion of Doom, we get to see a couple of other Justice League folks. And so it feels like a very, very rich world. Yeah, you have a ridiculous appearance by Aquaman when Harley finally gets her invite to the Legion of Doom. And you're just like, this is so wacky and enjoyable, even if it isn't necessarily contributing deeply to the comic book storylines or anything like that. This is something that stands wholly on its own, which is what I love to see with comic book shows. You know, sure, something can adapt a comic book storyline, and that's fine. You can have the Marvel Cinematic Universe that is pulling from some very obvious comic books like Infinity War, (laughs) for instance, and, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet comic and all of these things that you can trace back to what happened in the comics. But because Harley was not created in the comics, I think that gives her character a unique freedom. Absolutely. And the fact that she is kind of one of the more meta characters, which was more established in Birds of Prey or this show, but it does exist in the comics. She occasionally breaks the fourth wall a little bit. Yeah. And I think that self-awareness definitely plays in here. Like, for example, in the Bar Mitzvah episode where we meet Bane, he's got the Bane voice from the Dark Knight Rises. We have the, the goofy Bane voice. Yeah. And I love that they did that. Like, they're playing with the tropes. They're playing with people's ideas of what Batman or Batman stories are supposed to be. And they're doing it in a really, really kind of silly way. But you can tell that it's deeply loving towards the source material. Oh, absolutely. And you get a story that makes sense for Harley's character. Like we mentioned, there's this push and pull between her wanting to go back to the Joker and wanting to be independent. And it's Poison Ivy who has to kind of reel her in and be like, hey, you don't need him. And then ironically, you know, she ends up being the one in a relationship. Granted, it's a much healthier one (laughs) than the one Harley and the Joker were in. But you still kind of see how these characters are evolving, even just over 13 episodes, which for a half hour show, which really runs, you know, 20 something minutes, not a full half hour, even most of the time, that's not a whole lot of time to get these characters in gear and develop them. And they waste no time doing that. Yeah. And they do a lot of really good things with backstory too. Like we get some backstory into some of these characters, like Harley goes home. We get to meet Harley Quinn's parents and it is not pretty. I do want to specifically talk about that episode, which is episode 10. She goes back home to Bensonhurst, which is where her mother is waiting for her. She has a deadbeat dad who ends up being more dangerous than anticipated. And you just have all of these things to where Harley is feeling lost. And she's like, okay, I'm going to go home. And even that can't work out for her. So it really is, hey, you've been relying on someone for so long, you sort of just need to work this out and figure out how to 
have a group of friends who actually care about you, even though they are criminal friends, obviously, you still have to sort of start over and figure out how you should have these relationships with people. And what's even more interesting about that is the fact that she has a degree in psychology. (laughs) And you're kind of like, you know, you really should be the one who knows these things already. But because she got so deep into what the Joker was selling her, she is having such a tough time digging out of this ginormous hole that she got herself in. Well, and, you know, when we get to meet her parents, we see that they've never been good to her. Like they never gave her the love and the kindness and the support that she needed. And instead, she was either kicked out or she was used to get money or whatever. And so it makes some of her behavior, some of her fears of attachment and her over-attachment and all of that absolutely make sense. And it makes sense, too, that she doesn't see it even though she's studied it and she sees it in everybody else because you never see it in yourself. You never see it in the people that are the closest to you because you have blinders because of your own feelings. And so I was really thrilled with that episode because she you know, loses her whole crew in the episode before because she does something not totally her fault, but she's not really grown up the way she thinks she has. And then she runs home, you know, to try and find help and to try and feel less alone. And she just feels completely alone. But in the end, she ends up figuring out her identity and she really becomes her own person at the end of episode 10. And she realizes what's actually important And then in the beginning of episode 11, she apologizes, like Mm -hmm. getting to see her own up and apologize and try to grow was really satisfying. Yeah. And we mentioned what the first episode was with her trying to cut ties with the Joker and be known as her own person. But I do really want to talk about the season finale as well, because I think this was an episode that they really did want to make a big statement with. She has this big showdown with the Joker and Even though Harley has been trying to pull away from him, his presence in Gotham is obviously still going to be there because he's the Joker. You know, he's sort of the king villain of this town. And, you know, Lex Luthor being there is a little misplaced because he's mostly known for being in Metropolis and being the big villain for Superman. But it's not surprising when you take a look back at things like Batman versus Superman, which I recently covered on this podcast as well. And Lex is kind of pulling the strings between Superman and Batman going at each other. And he's not in it as much as the Joker is. So you're like, okay, Lex clearly comes and goes, but the Joker loves Gotham and loves Batman, really. (laughs) That's kind of Mm -hmm. what it boils down to, even though he's running around creating all of this chaos. It's something that he just feels connected to. And so Harley probably knows that she's not going to get him to just up and leave Gotham. But this big showdown is just so entertaining. The showdown is great. And everything leading up to the showdown is great. Like, for the first time in the series, the the last two episodes are the first time that there are really stakes where there's any kind of loss or any kind of death or anything. And after there's a big, big loss of a character we love in episode 12, but then in episode 13, Joker kills Scarecrow, just up and kills him for revealing Batman's identity. And it was kind of weird to be like, oh, this is one of the main villains. Like, Scarecrow is a pretty big Batman villain, and he's just dead now. He's just gone. He's not going to be in the series anymore. 
And so seeing that made me go, oh, okay, there's actually, like, people could die in this. Like, there's actually stakes. It's not just all giggles. There's actually a story. Exactly. And even though you have that death before this episode, you're kind of like, okay, are they really going to do that? And you're kind of just like, I cried. Okay. You know, <laughs> that person probably coming back, mm-hmm. but you know that when the Joker kills Scarecrow, it's like nobody is going to care enough to bring him back unless they really need him for some evil mastermind plot, which won't happen in the first season, obviously, because that is the final episode with the showdown between Harley and Joker. But you just get this tension that works so well because Joker is upset that Scarecrow revealed Batman's identity. Harley is upset because of this death, and that fuels both of them to the max. Yeah, and Harley's motivations throughout a lot of it have been sort of mixed. She's sort of lost. Like we said, she's uh, aimless and lost, and then she figures out her motivation very, very much at the episode episode 10. And it's the same character that we lose in episode 12. So that's really her motivation. And so her motivation becomes friendship and becomes love and becomes not just being a villain, not just being in the Legion of Doom, but being the best Harley Quinn she can be. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, but I did, I cried when uh, the the character passed away in 12. I was not ready. Even though I was like, oh, they'll be back. They'll definitely be back. Yeah. I still was not having, I was just, I was like, no, my baby. Because you're like, oh, they actually went there. They actually did that. And there are stakes now. And another thing about the finale, I wanted to get your thoughts on. How did you feel about Harley returning to her original costume? Um, it was okay. Uh, I mean, I didn't have a problem with it because she's sort of reclaiming it for herself, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I've never really liked that costume. And I've always associated with her being subjugated to Joker because it so relates to a Harlequin and a Joker. And I'm just like, no, no, I like your more punk rock aesthetic a lot better. Yeah, I like that too. I think this was just a nice nod to the character's origins and especially to probably Arlene Sorkin's version of the character from the animated series. And it's something that doesn't need to last too long. It's kind of like, I don't know if you watched Luke Cage, but they put him in his original comic book outfit for like 30 seconds or something. And it was just like, okay, there we go. That's done. We can move on now. Yeah. And one thing I do have to appreciate that Kaylee Cuoco's done is she doesn't try to do the voice or the accent. Like she's really not trying to do the Brooklyn accent. And yeah. I kind of appreciate that because when people do it badly, it is obnoxious. And I think Margot Robbie's version of it is so perfect that I'm just like, okay, don't, don't do it. Just let her do it, but you don't need to. And it makes it very much her own thing. Like I love her version of Harley. I think it's a great character. Same here. Are there any other episodes or moments in particular that you want to discuss? There's so much to unpack with this show. We could probably spend like four hours going episode by episode, but we won't subject everyone else to that. Yeah, I did really enjoy the Queen of Fables as a villain. Wanda Sykes is the voice of the Queen of Fables, and she is great. Uh, she's clearly having a blast voicing this character. Like, it, that really comes through in the performance. 
and her design, her costume design, just everything about Queen of Fables. I was like, all right, all right, now we got a good villain because there's not really any other female villains. Like they're all either like Harley and Ivy where they're sort of pseudo villains. They're in that weird uh, in between place because I can't call Harley a villain. Like, yeah, she's a villain in terms of like she robs things. But she's not going around killing people for no reason. She's not really into hurting people. She tries to be empathetic where she can. And I don't think of her as a villain. She's more like an anti-hero or uh, just sort of in that great place. And so that's how most of the female villains in the rogues gallery are. And Queen of Fables is all evil. She is 100% bad. She is... She's scary, and she also really, really tipped into that uh, Venture Brothers kind of vibe. And I dug it, but uh, yeah, it's cool. I really, really like that. The only thing I don't like is Kite Man. Okay, tell me more. (laughs) So I really want to like Kite Man, but the idea of Poison Ivy, who is this incredible, intelligent, independent, strong woman going for like the most white bread basic dude on the planet is just kind of like, like, girl, you deserve better and then some. I did think it was a very strange relationship at first because you can tell she's like, I don't want this, but he's awkwardly nice and he's just trying so hard to get her attention and he isn't overly creepy about it he does cross lines here and there and you're like eh, maybe ease off a little kite man and i will admit too that it's not one of my favorite parts of the series but i think what that relationship allows for is to help harley figure out that she really does need to be able to rely on herself because if these people end up in relationships who she's surrounding herself with, they're not always going to be able to be there 100% of the time. And that's something that doesn't fully come to fruition just yet by the end of season one. But I think it's something that we are definitely going to see more of as things continue. Oh, for sure. I think that the the Kitan Man dynamic is really important. I think that whole thing really works. It just on some base level, I was like, girl, you deserve so much better. And he's sweet and he's cute for a cartoon, I guess. I don't know that he's never taken his mask off. So I don't know what he <laughs> looks like. Uh, but it just something about it just just rubbed me the wrong way. I was just kind of like, eh, you definitely deserve better and we'll probably see that at some point or kite man will step up or we'll see and uh, i think that's good conflict which is you know important to a story i just didn't like it personally yeah i want to also highlight the game show moment kind of thing it was like was it a game show or it was just the tv set basically we'll leave it at that and you have harley fighting batman and he ends up intervening. And this is sort of where Robin pops in because they just go all out with the Harley and Batman thing in that one episode. And you're like, okay, I appreciate you not putting Batman in the very first episode in this kind of capacity. They kind of build up to it because you have this time that goes by where it's like, okay, Joker's doing his own thing. Harley's doing her own thing. So now Batman has to contend with both of them 
separately. And while they don't dive into that a whole lot in season one, it's one of those things where just these quick acknowledgments of these things, you're like, okay, they really understand where they want these characters to go and how that impacts these other characters that we don't necessarily need to see all the time. Right. And then, too, it's cool because Batman actually ends up saving Harley and Ivy at one point. So, And there's some really interesting conversations between Batman and Harley. It's something we've never really gotten to see before. Usually it's just like, you, Quinn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bats. I mean, like, it's very silly, you know, hero, bad guy banter. And in this, they actually kind of have conversations. And Harley teases Batman and Batman kind of gives it back. And it's just... It's refreshing, like I said, just the dialogue aspect and the fact that they feel like real people, but also the fact that Batman understands sort of the gray morality of Harley Quinn and Ivy. Like, yeah, you guys are villains. I've thrown you in Arkham a million times, but you don't deserve to die. And it feels like they have this understanding that Harley isn't as much of a threat as she used to be when she was doing whatever Joker wanted her to do, because his plans are much more maniacal. He has these evil intentions, but Harley is really just your kind of everyday criminal in a sense, because she likes robbing places. She likes committing crimes, but not necessarily murder. Right. She's not really into hurting people. She's not really into that. She's just like, oh, I like stealing things and playing pranks. And she's definitely more benign than somebody like the Joker, who's like, I want to throw everything into chaos. <laughs> you can tell I hate the Joker as a character. <laughs> like, I hate the Joker and everything that he has become to represent. I'm just like, you suck. Go away. Yeah. Plus, you have the fact that all of these villains kind of want to rule Gotham, but you imagine that Harley's version of Gotham is this much more playful yet criminal version of Gotham, whereas Joker's version is just total destruction and madness. And, you know, I've watched things like the Batman Beyond animated series, and that was something where you were like, okay, this is the impact the Joker had because you have people going around looking like Joker all the time in that version of Gotham. And you're kind of like, I don't want that for Harley Quinn, <laughs> you know? I nope. want things to be different, and they are, which is what makes it so refreshing. Right. Like, it's really, really refreshing that nobody looks up to Joker in this, really. Like, even the other people in the Legion of Doom are kind of like, oh, yeah, that guy. There's a whole part where he steals Bane's food even though uh, he ordered the wrong thing or whatever. And then he just steals Bane's food. He's like, oh, I'm going to eat that instead. And Bane's like, but I wasn't done. And it's kind of fun seeing him terrorize the other villains and just be a total jerk. And they only put up with it because they have to. Absolutely. I love the funny, silly version of Bane, too, because he's physically imposing. But a lot of the scenes that he's in, he's not really a threat. He's just kind of like oh, you know, I kind of want to be one of the big villains too, but he doesn't really have these grand plans like Alex Luthor or Joker. He's so different from the Bane of the movie because, like, I think of, you know, Dark Knight Rises and Bane in that movie and all his big monologues about life and uh, chaos and government and all that stuff. And, and then this Bane is kind of just like, don't make fun of me. 
Like, he's just sort of a sad, big sap. He's like a big, dumb golden retriever. It's kind of fun. Oh, absolutely. Any other moments that you want to discuss a little more in depth? Not particularly. I think this is, it's a great show. It's really funny. The violence, I guess. The gore, the violence and the gore, it's really pretty intense. There's decapitations and disembowelments and all kind of stuff that you're like, I can't believe this isn't a Batman show. On top of, you know, the jokes about jerking off to bats. And I like it. It's kind of lending it an edge that makes it feel a little bit illicit, a little bit dangerous and a little more fun. I agree 100% with all of that. And I know you and I have both watched at least part of the season two episodes. And it's currently ongoing. By the time you listen to this, we'll be about halfway through the season, I want to say, if they plan on doing another 13-episode season. And thankfully, animation is one of the types of TV production that can continue on because a lot of it is done on a computer or, you know, sketches on paper. So we are very fortunate that this is something that DC is able to continue to deliver to us. And Danny, I'm sure you and I will be back again soon talking about season two. But I want to thank you for coming on to talk about season one today, because like you said, this show is just so fun. And I am recommending it to pretty much anyone who will listen to me. (laughs) Yes, same. I'm like anybody who has any idea who these characters are at all, like whether you've only seen Tim Burton's Batman or whether you're a comic book reader or whether you only watched the cartoon show when you were a kid, when it was on W on Saturday mornings, like this show is just such a perfect distillation of everything I love about the Batman universe in a way that is new and fresh and just really, really great. And so, yeah, I recommend it to everybody who can handle the swearing and violence. Just don't show it to the children. No, please do not please. It's by far one of my favorite things that I've been watching on TV lately. There are some shows where they just grab you and you're so blown away by them. I felt that way with the latest season of Better Call Saul. I feel that way with Harley Quinn. And the DC shows overall have been surprisingly good. You mentioned Doom Patrol earlier, and that show is just so fun and quirky, too. You're kind of like, okay, I see what you're doing here, DC. I think this is really the platform where they have started experimenting with what people will enjoy. And granted, I don't think the service has tons and tons of subscribers like a Hulu or Netflix or even Disney Plus, obviously. But I think those of us who are subscribed and are watching all of these original shows, we're very vocal about them. Yeah, they are definitely getting a cult following. And I think even if like the DVC universe goes down thing and you know we only end up having these on other channels like i could see some of these shows going to a different channel or a different network uh in order to keep going because i think there is definitely a fan base for a lot of these these you know really really different superhero stories and i like that dc's doing that it's very different from marvel where they're like oh this is all a connected universe and everything goes together and everything has to have continuity dc's like yeah we got two harley quinn stories at the exact same time they're both about her breaking up a joker but they're completely different timelines Woo! and totally different formats too so that's a plus because you have the movie version you have this animated version and i think the 
most obvious home for the DC shows would be HBO Max, just because of Warner Brothers and all of that going on. But I think that the app will at least live on as their comic book reading service like Marvel Unlimited. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out because it was an interesting choice for them to pick sci-fi to put Harley Quinn on because they do have the option of something like a HBO probably. And HBO already has those built-in subscribers. You know, people who watch HBO really watch HBO. You know, they watch Game of Thrones, Westworld, whatever it is. I don't happen to watch those two, but I am not the norm when it comes to HBO consumption probably. Yeah, they could have gone to HBO, but I like I like that they're on sci-fi. I feel like sci-fi's programming has been really good as of late, and I feel like they're website and their articles and the way that they sort of have tied everything into a brand is really cool because sci-fi is becoming sort of this like progressive nerd hub. Yeah. And and I love that. And I think that it's really nice to see that. And I love some of the folks that are behind the scenes over there writing for sci-fi wire and that kind of thing. So it, it makes sense. It feels like it totally fits there. Like this is a show for your more woke punk rock little fans. That is a very fair statement to make because I have enjoyed quite a few of the things that sci-fi has been doing lately as well. But, you know, I think we have said how much we enjoy this plenty for everyone. So, Danny, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Harley Quinn season one today. Thank you, Puddin. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.